Uh, This morning we're continuing our series where we're traveling in the footsteps of the apostles and the first believers. As we travel in their footsteps, we learn a little more about what it means to follow our risen Lord and to be guided by God's Spirit, who are always going out ahead of us. In our reading today, we catch Paul in the middle of a journey. After the council in Jerusalem in chapter 15, he sets his course west through Syria and Asia Minor, and a vision brings him and the gospel for the first time in Europe, crossing the Aegean into Macedonia, part of what we know today as Greece. I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the 16th chapter of Acts, beginning with the ninth verse. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We set sail from Troas and set a straight course to Samothrace the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river, where we were supposed, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. So as I said earlier, it's Memorial Day weekend, and uh, it's that time that many folks consider to be the unofficial start of the summer. Not only does that mean one worship service as a congregation, but also other fun things like school being out, vacations, going to the pool, and oh yes, road trips. I always have loved road trips, the adventure, the freedom, the being on the move, on the go. I still remember the first road trip I took with friends not long, or the first summer rather, after receiving my driver's license. I went with a couple of friends to what we call up north in Michigan, which uh, really means uh, the area with lots of inland lakes and parks for a weekend at a friend's cabin. This freedom and adventure felt like a whole new world. Now, my mom, who is with us this morning, I'm sure remembers this moment a lot differently. But to me, it was fun and exciting. Now, being new drivers, unfortunately, also meant that we weren't great with directions. And believe it or not, I'm old enough that I started driving before GPS and Google Maps were in cars. We were supposed to go east on a road to get to the cabin, but like I said, we weren't great with directions, so we ended up going west. Some 50 miles later, we thought the cabin should be coming up soon, but instead we, re- we reached the opposite end of the state and ran into Lake Michigan. 
Thankfully, in Michigan, it's hard to get too lost because eventually you'll run into either water or Ohio or Canada. So as most young people do, we made the best of this unintended detour. We spent the day enjoying beautiful Lake Michigan for a few hours and made our way back in the right direction later. Much of the story of Acts, particularly from this point forward, reads a lot like a great road trip or a travel log. Luke, the writer of Acts, changes voice at this point in the book. From traditional narration, you see it, as our text begins saying, and then they went. It goes from third person to first person. So from then they went to then we went making it feel like the writer and all of us are right there with Paul and his crew on this great road trip and later boat trip across the ancient Near East. So here we're invited with Paul to go on this road trip, where we'll experience God's Spirit lead and guide us in new and surprising ways as the gospel begins to spread throughout the known world. Now, Paul and his crew experience Uh, their experience, they don't necessarily get lost, but they do experience a couple of unexpected, unintended detours in our story today. And that these detours make a huge difference in their trip and in their ministry. The first happens just before the beginning of our election today. Paul and Barnabas have parted ways, so now Paul and Silas go and pick up Timothy and others on their journey through Galatia and Asia Minor. What we find is that the Spirit is really the captain of this journey, and is the driving force of the entire book of Acts. Luke tells us that Paul wants to go north to Bithynia, even I struggle with some of these towns sometimes, Paul wants to go north to Bithynia, but the Spirit instead leads them further west to Troas, a port city on the Aegean in present-day Turkey. It's while they're in Troas that Paul receives a vision. It's not a vision of God, but of a man, a Macedonian man, calling for them to come and help them. Paul is convinced that God has called them to go and proclaim the gospel to Macedonia, a Roman colony of what we know today as Greece. So Paul and his crew set sail across the Aegean. They make a pit stop in Samothrace, dock in the port city of Neapolis, and from there take the 10 or so mile journey inland to the main city of Philippi. Philippi was the Roman hub in the district of Macedonia. It was a city of a decent size for those days and is known to be a diverse place socioeconomically. Consisted of some elite retired Roman officers to uh, a group of large, um, a large working poor population as well. I assume Luke gives us a lot of information about Paul's destination because of its later prominence in Paul's ministry. Think about the letter to the Philippians that Paul writes and the financial support they'll offer Paul in continuing his ministry. So they're in Philippi, and when the Sabbath comes, Paul and his crew look for a place to worship, perhaps a synagogue, as he normally did on his journeys. Being a Roman city, he would have to go outside the walls to find this place. So he's led outside the walls of Philippi to a worship place down by the river. 
he finds that the worship community consists entirely of women. But one of these women in particular sticks out to him, Lydia. Luke, our narrator, decides to give us an awful lot of information about her. First, she is described as a worshiper of God. That's how our translation puts it. Another way this is understood, another term for this that was understood back then was a God-fearer. These were Gentiles who were drawn to Judaism. They worshipped the God of Israel, participated in the rituals of the church, of the Uh, of the the people of Israel, but they were not quite ready to convert themselves. Luke then underscores that she was a Gentile by saying that she was from Thyatira in Asia Minor, literally where Paul and his crew just came from. The final detail Luke provides is that Lydia was a dealer of purple cloth, as I shared in, in detail with our children earlier. Scholars actually debate about what this means. As I said, purple cloth was a luxury worn only by the rich, which leads some to think that Lydia, in turn, was wealthy herself. But other scholars have noted that the process of making purple cloth and the pungent ingredients used in the dye left the person making these garments continuously smelly, as well as having dyed hands permanently. Therefore, this wasn't a noble profession, but one that was left for an outsider or a person on the margins. Either way, to me what this description from Luke says was that Lydia was an independent business owner. She was the head of her household. There's no man's name attached to her as is so often when women are introduced in the Bible. And likely she had some substantial means. Lydia hustled. She worked hard for a living, perhaps in a profession not many wanted to do in order to make ends meet. So if the first detour Paul and his crew experienced was in the route, the second detour was in its destination and purpose. Paul has a vision of a man from Macedonia, but instead he meets a group of women, in particular Lydia, who is not Macedonian, but from Asia Minor and Thyatira. Lydia listens to Paul's teaching, and the Lord opens her heart to hear the good news. She hears the gospel and then responds in faith. Like Cornelius last week, Lydia's faith moves Paul to baptize her and the women worshiping with her. So Paul's first converts in Macedonia and the entire continent of Europe was not a man crying out for help as he had visioned, but strong, independent Lydia. This would be a surprising detail given the first century world and culture, but it's not surprising at all in the story of Acts that has already chronicled the faith and ministry of women like Tabitha and others before. Following her baptism, Lydia pleads with Paul and and his crew to stay in her home. And then Luke describes her hospitality in a somewhat odd way, saying, then she prevailed upon us. That little note always strikes me in this story. Prevailed. The Greek word used here is parabiasato. And it can also mean to persuade or urge. This word is used only one other time in the New Testament. And it's used by Luke in his gospel. 
After the resurrection, the risen Jesus accompanies two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus, though they don't recognize the man with them to be Jesus. After spending the day with them, these two men urge him, parabiosito. They persuade, urge Jesus to stay with them, and he does. What these two accounts show us is that receiving the gospel beckons a response of over-the-top hospitality and love. It beckons a response of generosity born out of gratitude. The disciples, with urging Jesus to stay with them, and then Lydia's hospitality prevailing over Paul and his crew. In both stories, the person experiencing a glimpse of God's grace responds with overwhelming and prevailing hospitality and love. We can all think of moments in our lives when we've been overwhelmed by someone's hospitality, when someone's kindness or generosity prevails and leaves a lasting impression on our lives. I know for me this has come through the countless people in my ministry that continue to overwhelm me with hospitality. Starting with the very first church I served as a seminary intern in Ashland who gave me this robe that I'm wearing today, to my home church that gave me the stole that that, uh, I shared with you, all the way to the generosity I've experienced from all of you in this community here at WPC. As I walked in Lydia's footsteps this week, I've been reminded of this great privilege in ministry, and to never take such hospitality for granted. Because Lydia reminds us that this is one of the most genuine ways that we can respond to the gospel, prevailing over-the-top hospitality, care, and love. Now, one of my favorite ministries of our congregation here at WPC is our ministry of hospitality, in which uh, our our administration committee uh, opens our doors for community groups and, and organizations to meet in our space. It's a simple gesture, but it's one that makes a lasting impact, where communities, ministries, organizations, uh, Boy Scouts, we just celebrated some Eagle Scouts this week, can use our space uh, and receive the welcome and care. This is our way of responding like Lydia. Our experience of grace beckons a response of gratitude, generosity, and hospitality. So friends, walking in Paul's footsteps this morning, we learn that sometimes God can do some wonderful and surprising things through the detours we experience on our journeys. When we walk in Lydia's footsteps, we're reminded that experiencing the grace of God beckons our response of hospitality, care, and love for others in Christ's name, and that this act of welcome will always prevail. This hospitality allows Paul and his crew to rest before going forward and spreading the gospel uh, in Europe. And after a brief imprisonment, which is our story for next week, friends, Paul and his crew will continue going down through Greece to Thessaloniki, Athens, and Corinth. Lydia's story in the New Testament will go on indirectly through the church in Philippi a community that becomes known, that becomes identified by its hospitality and generosity, which Paul will attest to constantly throughout his letter to the Philippians. So friends, as we continue on this road trip together, 
and we go out walking in the footsteps of Paul and Lydia, may our faith prevail. May it prevail in acts of hospitality and love for others. And may we always be open to the wonderful and surprising places God's Spirit will lead us on our journeys, that we may faithfully follow our risen Lord, who is always going out ahead of us. All authority and power and dominion to the name that is above all names, Jesus Christ our Lord, now and the age to come. Amen.